0: Hey guys, Danny here, Courier's editorial director. You're listening to The Courier Weekly. First, there was almond milk. Then there was oat, which now makes up a monster share of the multi-billion dollar dairy-free milk market, with brands like Oatly leading the way. Well, this week I'm with Roxana Saidi, who says pistachio milk could be next. Growing up in an Iranian-American family, Roxana remembers eating pistachios all the time. They were as common as potato chips, she says. And as an adult, she realized the snack was one of the only nut alternatives not being used on a massive scale in the alternative milk market. Roxana is now the founder of Tash, pistachio milk brand she launched on Wednesday this week after years of development. She calls it the first true pistachio milk brand in the US. There's a lot to unpack and dig into here, from the challenges of growing a new product category to working with your family. So let's just get into it. Here's Roxana.
1: Almost daily, someone will say to me, why pistachios? And almost instantaneously, a vivid image pops into my mind every single time, and it's me. I'm five years old, my dad is teaching me, or rather attempting to teach me how to crack open my first pistachio. So my dad immigrated from the Middle East to Michigan to attend the University of Michigan when he was about 18. I joke that pistachios are to Middle Eastern households as potato chips are to U.S. households. It's a must have on hand snack. So in my household growing up, we always had pistachios and they were these big, beautiful, colorful pistachios, very different from what you would traditionally see at a grocery store or even a gas station, wherever here in the U.S.
0: And where did he get them from? Did he know a guy who knows a guy or did he get them from the uh, from the local shop?
1: No, it was very much new a guy. They came over from the Middle East. They were the ones that he grew up eating. So. It was very much not just down, you know, at the local independent grocery store. It came from a guy.
0: (laughs) Smuggled in a suitcase from Tehran.
1: Like many things, but yeah, in this case, it was just pistachios. And they were delicious. They were unlike anything else. And, you know, I also had a fun time as a kid. You know, they're part activity. You get to play with it a little bit and then be nourished at the same time. So... I was kind of the kid on the playground who had a bag of pistachios and other kids would say, you know, what's that? Or what are you doing there? And so it was fun.
0: I have to say they are like my actual favorite nut. I eat them all the time. Pistachio ice cream is my favorite ice cream. So I totally feel you there about like eating it when you're a kid. People think it's weird. Maybe it's because I'm part Sicilian and they like pistachios too quite a lot.
1: There you go. Yes. Sicilian pistachios. Another great one.
0: (laughs) When you grew up, I mean, obviously there was a a proverbial light bulb moment where you said, huh, plant-based milk is, you know, soaring into the stratosphere as a market segment, but no one was really taking advantage so much of the humble pistachio. Why was that? I mean, there's obviously money in pistachio, but it wasn't all over the place. It wasn't like almond milk. You know, there was really nobody doing it on a big level.
1: Yeah. I'll start at the beginning. For me, it was around the year 2015. I was drinking copious amounts of almond milk. I was eating copious amounts of almond butter. It was pretty ubiquitous throughout the U.S., but... I was at a long family lunch in Paris and I was longing for almond milk latte. And at that point, almond milk had not made its way over the Atlantic and it wasn't ubiquitous throughout Europe. So at that moment I had the cliched light bulb moment where I just thought, wait, can I go home and whip up some pistachio milk in my own kitchen or even make pistachio butter in my own kitchen the same way that almonds are produced? And wouldn't that be so much more interesting from a flavor standpoint And so that's exactly what I did. When I got back to New York, I started making all kinds of pistachio butters and milk in my little kitchen in uh, New York City. And the immediate question I had to answer is your question. Why doesn't this already exist? So many folks love pistachio gelato, pistachio ice cream, but that's really sort of, there's the ice cream and then there's snacking as a roasted or unroasted nut. And that was the, the extent of the pistachio in the United States. And I thought this is such an untapped, opportunity. And there's so much love and sentiment around the pistachio. Couldn't we take this so much further? So I had to peel back. Why didn't it already exist? Because to me, it seemed fairly obvious.
0: Right. And that's the thing, because quite a lot of times when something doesn't exist, you assume an entrepreneur tried it and fell terribly for some reason.
1: Exactly right. So I was sure if I did enough digging, I would uncover oh, this is what happens. It's the one nut you can't do this with because of X, Y, or Z. I spent endless hours. I talked with endless formulators. There was none of that. The reason was supply chain. So creating a supply chain of high quality pistachios at an approachable price is really challenging. And I knew from the onset that I did not want to create a product at a price point that was so high that most people could never afford or would just say, whoa, that's crazy. I didn't wanna make a $10 pistachio milk. I really wanted to make a pistachio milk that was of course gonna be premium and priced slightly above maybe what almond was at the time, but not something twofold or three X. As soon as I established that we could secure a supply chain of high quality pistachios at a product MSRP that was approachable, then it was kind of like, okay, this has legs, this has a lot of merit, let's see if we can put this together. So at that point, I brought in my father, who at the time was a retired Silicon Valley entrepreneur himself. He was in the business of building cell phone chips. So he had founded and exited a few startups in Silicon Valley, very smart, very successful. But coming in to help me build Tash was a huge departure from what he knew. But I knew that his really strong entrepreneurial background was going to be a huge asset to building cash with me.
0: Did that take a bit of convincing? I mean, I imagine his, you know, like not young daughter, but he's like, you know, 20 or 30 something year old daughter coming and saying, dad, I want to build a, a food and drink direct to consumer brand with cool branding based on pistachios. You know, can you help me? He was probably like, uh, let me think about that.
1: You know, I always joke. I say, not all dads would say, sure. Let me jump into my fourth startup with my daughter after being you know, pretty comfortable in retirement. Like, I don't know many dads that would, but he didn't hesitate, he jumped right in. And I actually think that has a lot to do with the fact that one, he believed in pistachios, two, of course, he believed in me, and three, he saw me launch a social media agency when back in 2011, when those did not exist. And he said, you know, I don't know that this is the right move, Roxana. I think that you should go get your MBA. I don't think social media is going to be a lasting thing the way that you think that it is. And, you know, he... <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: exactly. So I think it was a combination of those three factors.
0: That's great. And then, so what was then step one? I mean, you had an inkling that, you know, this could be big. What then did you do? Did you like fly over to Iran and look for a pistachio farm or something or what? Or California? I mean, where where did you go? <laughs>
1: what we did was we sourced pistachios from all over the world, actually. So Turkey is a big one. Sicily is a big one. Spain... California is a huge exporter of pistachios. So we sourced pistachios from everywhere because I wanted to have a side-by-side comparison of all pistachios and see in the formulation process, which we hired a formulation team specifically, they only do beverages, to do formulation work on all different types of pistachios.
0: When you say sourced, you mean... You called up a farm, literally, and said, hey, I want to order 50 kilos of pistachios. Could you send it to my home address?
1: Sure. Exactly like that. Just instead of 50, it was more like 10. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we did. And so we did all these side-by-side trials. We actually did 24 iterations of our formula. And in the end, what was really striking and really astounding was that You know, pistachios aren't that different from grapes. I say this all the time, that you expect, you know, it should kind of result in the same thing, but just like wine, you know, grapes from Italy versus grapes from New Zealand, it all produces very different wine. Climate, soil, farming techniques, all of that stuff plays a big factor in pistachios as well. So in our formulation, in R&D, we noticed that the California pistachios had an enormous difference, like polar opposite from what we were experiencing from those in the Middle East. So much so that sometimes we found that it really tasted like it was like synthetic, almost kind of like made in a lab. It had a really long lingering, unpleasant aftertaste. It didn't have that smooth finish, that really nice nuttiness with a natural hint of sweetness that the Middle Eastern pistachios were producing. That's when we decided, okay, that's another component that kind of factors into why this doesn't already exist and why it's not already on the shelf. Yes, to answer your question, that was step one. We hired the formulation team and we did all these side-by-side trials. The formulation work took about a year and that ended up with us having three flavors of tash. So there's the original, which has just a little bit of added sugar. Then there's the unsweetened, which of course has no added sugar. And then we also developed vanilla. So when we launch, we'll just be launching with the original and the unsweetened, but vanilla will follow soon thereafter.
0: And were you closely developing the business model as closely as you were developing the formulation of the actual drink? Did you know you wanted to sell direct to consumer or wholesale?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. So like podcasts, just like this, I was really immersing myself as much as I could in this new industry that I formerly knew nothing about. So what do buybacks look like? What does UNFI mean? All of these things I was learning and absorbing and absorbing. The tip that I was hearing is you really have to choose your channel strategy wisely. It's not about how many doors you're in, it's about velocity. All these things that I'd never heard of before. So we decided that traditional retail was not something we were gonna pursue in the beginning. Of course, I'm mapping this whole plan, having no idea what 2020 holds in store. So kind of at the same time, Oatly was really making its way into the US landscape. And they were doing that through food service, which is in our case, coffee shops, Third Way Coffee, Matcha Bars.
0: And they've just absolutely dominated that entire space
1: absolutely dominated. I remember walking around the West Village and seeing signs on coffee shop doors, in all caps, saying, we do not have any more Oatly. (laughs) Sorry, like, don't harass us about it. We don't have it, so. For us, it was going to be direct to consumer and then also drive that discoverability through food service and being in the New York City area, what could be better than launching here and kind of using that Oatly playbook a little bit through coffee shops.
0: Right. Because I wanted to ask you, I mean, what are the big challenges of being one of the you know the pioneers in a new market category like pistachio milk, because I imagine 99% of Americans will have never heard of pistachio milk or know it's a thing or even a possibility. You probably have a lot of education to do to showing people this exists. This is the nutrition factor. Yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of work. I mean, pioneering involves a lot of just teaching.
1: Right, absolutely. I would say the biggest hurdle is just that initial alt milk fatigue that consumers have experienced. I understand why there's a, you know, a chuckle or an eye roll when you say pistachio milk and people think, "Do we need another one?" And really our joke is, no, we don't. And it's okay that you have that fatigue. I get it. But really what's been so wonderful is that when people try TASH, it, that immediately goes away.
0: Well, when you say fatigue, do you mean like, you know, your mom and dad kind of are like eye rolling, ah, oh, like millennials are so like, you know, with their avocado toast and all that stuff, do they need this? Or do you mean like from people who would be your potential customer, they're like, I don't necessarily need another option?
1: The latter, the latter. So. You know, a great example is I used to just be really scrappy, and I would go around to all the the specialty coffee shops that I loved and been a fan of for so long, and I would just grab the barista or the wholesale buyer or whomever, and I'd say, "I'm launching this new pistachio milk called Tash. Can you test it? Like, give me your raw honest feedback." And they would say, "That sounds so good, but we've you know we've introduced so many milks over the years. There's there's a lot of options. It's hard for us to keep up with all them." So it was kind of that. It was like, there's a lot of interest, but there's a lot of options. Luckily for us, because Tash is so distinctly delicious on its own, as well as in coffee and matcha, that once their taste buds had the experience, it was no longer a consideration of, oh, there's too many. It was just like, oh, wow, this is actually good. This actually doesn't compromise on flavor. And that's interesting and differentiates Tash from a lot of the other alt-milk options.
0: Do you have a targeted program then for getting baristas to buy into this? Because I imagine they are your best salespeople.
1: Yes. So we're very lucky in New York City. There's one distributor that distributes to the vast majority of these shops in New York City, and I mean about 750 of them. So luckily, this distributor, I cold called, I wouldn't take no for an answer, finally went out to their location and met with them for a couple hours, and they picked up Tash very early on. So... That was a huge turning point for us and being able to kind of validate Tash as a player in the New York City area. And other than that, I've, just, I've built a lot of relationships over the last few years. I met with a lot of these baristas and and formed relationships and friendships, truly, because at my core, I'm a coffee fan. I love everything about it. My mom had me drinking lattes when I was far too young. They're really, they're friendships.
0: I mean, how does it taste in, in coffee, pistachio milk?
1: Yeah, so it's very subtle, it's complimentary. It does not overpower your coffee by any means. It's really nice with the floral notes of coffee. So that's a particularly strong one. In fact, one of our earliest partners, is Devotion Coffee. And what they do is they fly in their coffee next day air. So it's the freshest coffee you can get in New York City. And he says it plays really nicely with a variety of different types of coffee. And we're really excited about that because at the earliest days of Tash, I really didn't know how it would interact with certain coffees. I didn't know if it would have that overpowering effect or if it would be complimentary. And luckily it ended up being very complimentary.
0: And now you're launching smack dab in the middle of a pandemic that in the US at least is getting worse and worse and worse every week. What the hell has that been like? Because a lot of the year would be, let's face it, a lot of people aren't going to cafes, really, or at least not a lot of people are going to cafes, supply chains are disrupted, it's just a topsy turvy world.
1: That's right. And there's also been an election that's been, you know, so there's all these converging, kind of life altering dual pandemics, if you will. And so we actually had to push back our launch in light of the election, we wanted to make sure that during such a pivotal time in our country's culture, that understanding the unpredictable nature of the election news cycle and that, you know, we needed to let that have its moment and really not rush into having our moment because it pales in comparison. So we had to push back our launch. And even this most recent time, you know, with the pandemic and its effect on coffee shops, supply chains, everything you mentioned, we pushed back our launch a few more times ahead of that one. And they're all things that, You just have to, of course, roll with the punches. They're to be expected. But the most important thing for us is that we really support our coffee shop partners. We know how much and how hard it is just to survive the day, you know? So really supporting them in any way that we can, we're always there, you know, providing as much samples as we can, education, and just engaging with them and their their customer and, and meeting them where they are.
0: Are there any other uses of pistachio that you see that you might kind of enter in the coming years? I mean, the brand name is Tash, so you could kind of do anything with pistachio. It's not called Tash Milk or something like that. You know, you could go into snacks, you could go into skincare. I, I mean, I have no idea. Are you thinking about <laughs> it?
1: Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I think I did see, we're not going into skincare or, or beauty, but I, I'm pretty sure I saw body lotion. and and maybe a conditioner at one point because those natural oils are are great that are in pistachios. There's a plethora of directions Tash can go in. Right now we are focusing on the milk, going into flavors, excited about doing individual serving sizes of Tash. Most folks have remarked that they will love to drink it on its own. So I'm staying within the milk category for the foreseeable future. But yes, to your point, all the exploding plant-based categories across, you know, everything from cheese to ice cream to yogurt, those are all definitely have a lot of merit.
0: Within those different alternative milk categories, the plant-based dairy-free categories, do you think as oat milk declines in popularity? I mean, it's not, but I guess if it does, is it kind of a winner-takes-all thing or could everybody rise at the same time? Or do do you see trends going up and down? I mean, are people drinking almond milk less than they were?
1: Yes, I've seen a lot change over the last few years. When Tash First came to me, almond milk was the queen, I say. <laughs> almond milk was dominating. Milk didn't even exist in the U.S. yet. So now that's the inverse.
0: Right. I mean, if you go to a cafe here in London, it's literally just you want milk or oat milk. Rarely do they have almond. It's kind of just oat or, or whole milk.
1: Right. Yeah. I'm torn about it because I kind of all milk is what brought me into this world. Right. So I'm, I'm grateful in that way. But we talk to retailers all the time out in California and they say, we're no longer serving at almond milk. We can't justify it from the sustainability standpoint. It has an impact water in a very detrimental way.
0: Because it takes quite a lot of water to make like one almond, right?
1: It takes quite a lot of water. Almonds have a very large water footprint. It also is having a big impact on the bee population in California that have to pollinate the trees. It's a bit fraught, the issue, but to your point, almond milk is losing market share and oat milk is the dominant player. I don't really believe it's a winner take all. There's, you know, coconut milk does really well. There are others, smaller players, but I think overall, as long as truthfully we're moving away from dairy milk then it's (laughs) win-win so that's my position on it
0: do you see one day and i know we're really getting ahead of ourselves but would you like to kind of own your own farm at some point and do like a completely vertical operation
1: absolutely that is the dream pistachios are to my family so much more than just a snack or a nut or anything goes back two generations back in my family. So that would be lovely, although it is not in the current plan. Because
0: I was talking to Aishwarya from Brightland recently. She has a very, very, very close relationship with her olive olive orchards, all the farms, I guess, in California. And uh, I didn't know if you wanted to get much more integrated with like the actual process of growing the pistachios at some point.
1: Of course, of course. Also because, you know, with going organic, which we are not right now, that becomes much more of a reality for us. So it's absolutely something we would like to become much closer to and be vertically integrated. I will say that most alt milks out there are not organic currently. So it's not something that's a pressing issue, but down the line at some point, absolutely.
0: And how's it been running the company with your dad?
1: You know, I cannot complain at all. It's been really great. There's times where it becomes a challenge when you've sh- tried to shift away from work. It's the weekend that you're trying to you know, cut loose, have a little bit, and we both tend to weave in and out. And so there takes a bit of concerted effort on someone's part, and you have to say, no. <laughs> Remember, we're we're not weaving in and out, so. That's the only tough part other than that, I just feel very grateful and very just lucky to have him and his expertise, especially in the fundraising aspect of this business, something I'd never done before. I never thought that I would be raising over a million dollars during a pandemic, but having his support and his know-how throughout it all was immensely helpful to me.
0: That was Roxana Saidi, founder of TASH. And that's it for this week. As ever, get in touch with any comments, questions, feedback, whatever you want. I'm at Daniel at couriermedia.co. The Courier Weekly is back again next Friday. We'll see you then.